know, I spent a third of my life building my career, a third of my life really uh, honing my craft and becoming an expert. And now it's time to spend a third of my life giving back to the industry and also, you know, spending more time with my family. This is Hospitality One to One, conversations on the industry. Here's your host, Chris Bettis. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Hospitality One to One podcast, conversations on the industry. Be sure to subscribe so you can hear the latest episodes. Just visit hospitalityone2one.com and click on conversations on the industry. That's hospitality, the number one, number two, number one.com. On today's episode, we speak with Monty Silva. Monty has been a successful restaurant leader working across the country in hotspots like Los Angeles and Nashville. He has worked alongside esteemed chefs like Wolfgang Puck, and his background includes roles as general manager, director of operations, and director of restaurants. Most recently, Monty started his own business helping restaurant leaders across the country and coaching those in the hospitality industry. Monty talks about the road that led him to where he is today and some of the personal and professional roadblocks and detours he needed to take along the way. Here now is Monty Silva. Monty, again, thank you for joining us today. Chris, thank you. I'm super pumped to be here. We're pumped to have you. So I wanted to get right at it because you've got kind of a background. I mean, right now, obviously, you've got your own shingle. Um, You've been doing uh, you've got a, a book, which we'll talk about. You do speaking engagements, consulting, but you didn't start there. You actually got your start in the restaurants. And I kind of want to get a feel for, take us back to day one. How did you get your start in the industry? Sure, sure. So uh, years ago, a lot of years ago, uh, I started off as a dishwasher at 15 and um, worked at a hotel. And uh, even back then, I kind of learned the hustle of our industry. And so I made a deal with the, uh, the servers. I would save the steak bones and the scraps to, to sell to them to give to their dogs. So they would tip me out. Um, that was really cool. So I kind of learned to early hustle at age 15 on, on uh, you know, how to maximize my, my dollars. Um, I worked uh, for my next door neighbor was a chef and I went to work for him at a restaurant called the refectory and worked all the back of the house positions, prep cook, saute, grill. And uh, that was a great experience. But then I learned that, you know, the money and the women were uh, in the front of the house. So I I shifted to busing, serving, bartending and spent a good portion of my hourly career in the the front of the house. Um, And then, uh, in 1991, I moved to uh, the Caribbean and worked at a, first I worked at a restaurant as a server and then I ended up working as a kind of a lead bartender slash manager at a resort. Um, that was my first real responsibility in a restaurant. Um, you know, other than side work, I was, uh, I was writing schedules and doing the ordering, but also working from behind the bar. So. I lived in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, did that for a year and a half. And, uh, you know, it was, that's where I kind of learned that the wonderful thing about our industry is we can pick a city and then we can go find a job. You know, it's, it's, uh, 
it affords the ability to travel and do some really cool stuff that uh, a lot of times when you're in other industries, that's more prohibitive. So that was uh, really cool. And I decided then that I really wanted, you know, I'd always loved hospitality, but I never necessarily thought of it as a, as my career. Um, so that's pretty much when I decided, Hey, this is, I'm a lifer. This is going to be what I do. And I moved back to the States. Um, and had an opportunity, I went back to work for a restaurant that I had served and bartended at and had an opportunity to do some openings. Um, actually, I was told by my boss, if you wanna get into management, go do a couple openings, corporate will kind of see you in action and you'll be, have an opportunity to get promoted. So, um, so I did that and on my first one, a week in to the training, um, the regional manager who was my first, ended up being my first mentor, Tom Bryan, um, said, hey, why don't you just move down here and be one of my managers? So my very first opening as a, as a trainer, uh, I got promoted into management and uh, spent um, a couple of years with him there. And that was a really cool job um, because it wasn't as culinary expertise focused like a lot of chef-driven restaurants are. Um, if you were an assistant, you might be back of the house, you know, assistant KM for a while, you might be a bar manager for a while, service manager for a while. And to be a head KM, you had to be all three of those positions. And then to be a GM, you had to be a head KM. So it was a very cool training opportunity for me. And uh, in a year and a half, I moved up to, I did two openings with them as a manager and uh, had an opportunity to become the head KM at one of their restaurants. And, uh, that was a great opportunity to really uh, work on my kitchen management skills of food cost analysis and all that. So that was a great experience. Um, then my mentor left and uh, went to work for another company and asked me to go with him. And, uh, you know, I've heard in a lot of podcasts, you don't leave jobs, you leave people. But I think that's also true on the flip side. You know, a lot of times uh, you follow people because uh, you've been treated well, you've had opportunity, even if they, you know, beat the crap out of you as far as, you know, verbally dragging you along to, to really learn the industry. There's a, there's a respect and admiration and loyalty to people. Um, and so I followed him to another company within a couple months. I was a GM and uh, did that for a couple of years. And then um, he shifted to another region. I tried to go with him. Uh, the company said, no, you're too valuable where you are. You're number one restaurant company. We don't really want to change that. So, um, I ended up with kind of a, a real jerk. Um, you know, I, I had an early education of how to manage and lead people and how not to. Uh, and so, uh, a couple years I, I, um, had an opportunity to go to work for Wolfgang Puck as a GM. And so moved to Wolfgang Puck, ran one of his restaurants. Um, in LA and and really from 1994 to 1998 I had gone from uh from a brand new restaurant manager with no real management experience to a GM for Wolfgang Puck um and so that was or so that was an amazing four year and I really felt like uh you know, I was really, really focused on my career. I was married at the time um, and really, really focused on my career. Yeah, so much so that I was 
um, not putting things in proper perspective. Um, went to work for Wolfgang and uh, that was an amazing experience. He, he not only is an amazing culinary guy, but he's also just phenomenal working the floor. And I learned a lot from him just uh, really watching him work the room. Um, during that time, my, um, my, wife, my first wife and I were having issues. And uh, rather than step into that, uh, I pretty much poured everything into my, my career and um, got to a point where I was overseeing two restaurants for Wolfgang Puck. And I was working 80 plus hours a week, 90, 96 hours a week. I was working um, from eight to four at one restaurant and then I'd get on the highway and drive an hour and work five to midnight uh, at another work at the other restaurant because I wasn't the director or regional, I was the GM. So I had to physically work in both restaurants. I worked six days a week. So I was working 96 hours a week and you know, it took its toll. Um, went through a, a divorce, uh, which you know, I think that no matter what the relationships are, um, it's always a painful thing. We didn't, we didn't have any children, but, um, you know, it, it sucks. You know, you spend, you spend, you commit your life to somebody and then when that doesn't work out, uh, there's a lot of painful damage that's done to, you know, each other and family. And, um, and I really, really did not prioritize that the way I should. And, and um, you know, even at the time, I didn't really think, hey, it's not my fault. You know, I'm just building a career, trying to pay my bills and trying to take care of, you know, us. And um, and it was hard. And, uh, you know, working 96 hours a week, it takes its toll on your body. You know, you're not going to the gym. You're not working out right. You're not, you're not enjoying life. There's no downtime. Um, and so after two years uh, running restaurants for Wolfgang, I got to the point where I was like, look, I, I, I just, I'm burned out. Um, I don't know how I can do this. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is, is if you're going to be in this industry, it's a marathon and you can't just, as much as your focus needs to be on point all the time, you can't sprint the whole time. You've got to have downtime. You've got to be able to sharpen your saw and do some things and, and uh, I was not uh, able to balance that. So got burned out. A friend of mine uh, named Isaac Rivera, who had owned restaurants in LA and been general manager of restaurants in LA, he also got to the point where he was just over working his butt off, you know, working, working to live, you know, not living to work or living to work, not working to live. And uh, so, he said to me, hey, I'm moving to Vegas. And uh, I said, what, what restaurant are you going to manage? He said, I'm not going to manage a restaurant. I'm going to go back to being a captain and waiting tables. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, dude. He said, I can make as much money waiting tables 40 hours a week as I can busting my butt 60, 70 hours a week in L.A. And, uh, you know, I thought, hey, that's that's not a bad idea. So um, I talked to my boss at Wolfgang Puck and just said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm going to move um, to Vegas. I'm going to leave. Uh, and I just need a break. I'm going to go just wait tables somewhere in Vegas. And um, 
they said, look, we really don't want you to do that. We feel like that's a big mistake. Um, Tried to give more money. And I said, you know, it's really not about the money. They were a really great employer. I, I would say that the work, I put that on myself, you know, to be successful. It wasn't necessarily that they were demanding 96 hours a week, but I felt like, you know, I didn't really know how to run two restaurants. Um, it felt like I had to be there all the time. Um, and, and they were very, very gracious um, when I said I need to step down and, and even said, look, you know, why don't you go to work for one of our restaurants in Vegas? If you're gonna do the hourly thing, why don't you stay with the company and down the road, if you want to jump back into management, you know, we can get you back in. So I thought, great. So I moved to Vegas and went to work for Postrio, which is Wolfgang's restaurant at the Venetian and uh, just really enjoyed the break. It was, it was so refreshing to not think about work when you're not in the restaurant. It was so refreshing to only work a 40 hour week. Um, There's a great, general manager named uh, Matt Dickerson, who, um, who ran a phenomenal restaurant. Um, him and, uh, and the corporate people were trying to slide me back into management and offered me the assistant GM position. I turned that down and said, look, I just really need a break right now. And, um, and then slowly I started getting more and more uh, responsibilities put on my shoulders and, uh, after three years, just decided, you know, I didn't, just still needed a break. So, um, so ended up four years total in Las Vegas. And uh, it was, it was a good experience. It was great to have a break and I was making phenomenal money and um, really enjoying uh, time, you know, going to the pool, going to the lake, uh, you know, going to Red Rock and going rock climbing and, um, and really just kind of took a break. And um, it was very good for my soul. It was very good for my body and my mind. And uh, so I ended up um, working for a, going from there to work for a negotiant, French negotiant. And we uh, went back to LA for a year and um, worked with him to build a sales team because uh, we, we distributed wine and um, kind of helped build a sales team there. And then realized that, you know, I didn't really want to be in LA. I didn't really want to be in Vegas. And uh, Nashville was kind of the up and coming city. Uh, read a great article in Money Magazine that it was a great place for uh, work-life balance and um, cost of living versus income and great place to raise a family. So as a single guy, I thought, you know, still eventually want to get married and have, have kids. So moved out here in 2005. And uh, Nashville has been a, a great, great experience. Um, but what I found out when I got here was people were very apprehensive to hire me for a high level management position because they couldn't understand, well, what do you mean you went from being a GM for Wolfgang Puck to waiting tables? You know, it was a a sp- in their mind, it was a spiral downward. Like, what, what do you mean? Are you not a responsible person? You know, are you, uh, you know, were you not a good GM? What, what's the deal? And so I had to really reprove myself 
uh, in Nashville and started off as a service manager for Fleming Steakhouse. And, um, and after some time there, uh, got to go to what was the hottest restaurant at the time, Watermark. And uh, the team, the management team there was just amazing. And I was their beverage director. So I got to work with wine and, and run their beverage program. And, um, and that was phenomenal. Um, and uh, uh, later I ended up moving back into a GM role with Boundary, um, which was really cool during 2000, during the crash in the 2000s, um, while everybody else was going, hey, let's make our food cheaper so we can get more bodies in here. Uh, we went with Boundary from being a really cool hipster bar with great pizza to a legit white tablecloth uh, restaurant. We were overnighting fish in Honolulu. We were um, getting, you know, meat from uh, Broken Arrow Ranch where they hunt with bow and arrows and uh, just really, really cool stuff. And I, I reworked the wine list. And, um, and that's kind of where, okay, kind of back. To where I was. I'm a GM, you know, I had to pay my dues again and it sucked. Um, but here I am now, I've kind of reworked my way in and, um, you know, it was, it was tough going backwards, but, um, sometimes I think you have to do that. Um, you know, if you're, if you're driving on a freeway and, uh, you're in the fast lane and that's where you want to be, right? You want to be in a fast lane but there's a car ahead of you that's not going fast enough and there's a car on the side of you that, you know, isn't going to go faster or slower. Sometimes you have to kind of break a little bit, change lanes just so you can kind of move ahead and get back over. And so that's really what that time was. And even though it was very challenging trying to convince people to give me another GM spot, um, it, it overall uh, served its purpose very well. I got an opportunity to, do some different things and kind of work my way back in responsibility wise. So from there, uh, I was GM for another great company uh, called Strategic Hospitality, that a three-story restaurant called Merchants. Uh, did that, um, got married. Uh, actually got married when I was still at Watermark. Um, my wife Anita's awesome. We're celebrating 12 years this year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you, thanks. Um, she's put up with a lot, that's a whole nother she was a teacher and didn't quite understand our industry. So, you know, I really had to um, make sure that I didn't fall into the same trap as I reproved myself in Nashville of prioritizing work over what really matters, you know, what's really important. So, now, um, if we could for a second, I, I want to interrupt you because you've talked about the work life balance part. And before we kind of go into what, what, you're doing now what decisions you made so obviously marriage number one um, did not work out because you plowed everything into your your career yeah. and while you were very very successful on the resume on the home front things were were falling apart basically every other category home and front physical mental yeah everything so then you have this choice to make, I, I guess, you know, for someone, especially who might be a little bit younger or um, who may be on the upswing of their career, if you will, how do you balance both? Because you want to have that positive career, but you also want to make sure that you are attending to the other responsibilities of life. Right. 
Yeah, I think honestly, um, you either may need to make the determination, hey, I'm gonna be single while I'm building my career, or, uh, or you really need to find a partner that um, really is willing to um, make some sacrifices and on one side because um, it, it is tough, you know, that, you know, my wife jokes about writing a book called The Restaurant Widow, you know, where, because, because even as I was reshaping my career here in Nashville, um, you know, I still was dealing with that work-life balance. I was better at it. I was like, I'm not going to lose this relationship. Um, and so I was better at it. And I think some of the, so, so either stay single or find a partner that can understand and support you is the first thing. The second thing is learning how to uh, turn off. Um, you've got to be able to, on your days off, be present at home. And I think that that's a challenge that we all have because we love this industry and we want to be successful and we care about people. And you know, there were times where a VIP would call me on my cell phone and you know say, "Hey, I'm you know Carrie Underwood, you know." friend of mine who was friends with Carrie Underwood say, hey, I'm coming in for dinner and I'm bringing Carrie Underwood and her husband, you know, can we get a spot tucked away? And so I would go in on my day off just to make sure that they were taken care of. And so I had to really learn that balance. And, and Merchants uh, was a, a great job. I love those guys. They run a phenomenal organization. They take care of their people. Um, just an amazing, amazing group to work for. Um, and I had, as most GMs, I had the ability to take Sunday Mondays off. You know, you're going to have to work Saturdays. It's the busiest day of the week. Um, and my wife was a school teacher, and she didn't quite understand that early in our relationship. Um, you know, what do you mean you don't have weekends and holidays and nights and, you know, vacation, a bunch of weeks of vacation and all that stuff? Um, what do you mean you can't call out sick? Well, because there's no one to run the restaurant, you know. Um, so, um, and, and when I grew up, it was really very much that old school mentality of just, you know, this is your life, this is your commitment, you know? So no. when I was at Merchants, um, I had the opportunity uh, to have Sunday Mondays off, but as we got busier and busier, Sundays became the day that became very, very busy, and I had to make a choice. Am I going to stay here and now sacrifice potentially my marriage or uh, am I going to move on? Because I didn't feel like it was fair for me not to commit to working the busiest days. Um, and so conversations with my employers, two great, two brothers, two great guys, they understood and, and uh, I went from there and moved on. And, and uh, my wife and I started uh, the adoption process to try to adopt and, uh, there was a lot of focus on putting that together and we got our home study completed. And then we decided, Hey, you know, we're going to adopt a little kid. Um, my family's all in the West coast. Her family's all in Ohio. Let's move to the Cincinnati area so we could be closer to family. So when we have a baby, you know, that child will grow up around relatives. And, um, so I ended up going to work for Jeff Ruby's. Um, and that was another example of, you can pick the city and then get a job. Um, I sent my resume to four companies, um, four of the top 
groups in, the, in Cincinnati and none of them were advertising they were hiring. But I was like, look, I'm gonna hand select who I wanna work with at this point. So I interviewed with three of the four. Uh, two of them offered me a job. I took the one with Jeff Ruby's and then a week after I got hired at Jeff Ruby's, the third one offered me a job that I had already committed to Jeff Ruby's. Um, and then hit my first winner up there and said, oh, heck no, this is not where I want it. I'm a California, Caribbean kind of guy. I did not wanna be up here with the snow. Uh, we found out that our um, home study um, wasn't tr- going to transfer up there. And uh, again, just made a uh, life decision that we moved back to Nashville. And fortunately, Jeff Ruby's was opening a restaurant in Nashville. So I was able to move back and open that as the general manager. And uh, that job became very, I just, I got calls on my days off from corporate people. And, you know, it's like, it's like Mondays, you know, great. GMs are off Sunday, Mondays, but corporate people work Monday through Friday. and They're going to call you on Monday and bug the crap out of you about things that could obviously wait till Tuesday. You know, hey, if there's money missing out of the safe or there's a gas leak, yes, please call me. But, <laughs> you know, if you need me to put a report together, that probably could wait till I get back. Yeah. And I just found, again, you know, I got one morning, I just um, got an email. And uh, it was from uh, HR. They were doing an um, insurance thing at my restaurant. They were going to be in town. And they, she wanted me to be there. And, and I just had had it. I was like, you know, you know the GM is off on Sundays. Every GM in the company is off Sunday, Mondays. Why would you schedule that on a Monday and, and expect me to be there? And so, again, my wife was just like, look, this is ridiculous. That you, you can't get a day off. Um, and so about that time, there were a couple of companies that were, uh, that were looking, uh, out to me, talking to me about, Hey, we'd love to have you come work for us. And so I ended up going to work for Tomcats hospitality, which, um, they had acne feed and seed and, uh, and the Southern steak and oyster, um, during my time with them. Acme was the 31st highest grossing restaurant in the country at $18.5 million. Um, just an amazing four story, four different things going on. The first floor was uh, a fast, casual restaurant with live music. Second floor was a sushi lounge and craft cocktail bar. Third floor was private events. And the fourth floor was just a rooftop bar that did $40,000 in alcohol just on Saturday, just on the roof. Wow. So, um, so that was a cool thing. I actually got to take a suit off for a while and dress a little more like this. And, and it was really more like being a director of operations because I had, um, five managers that worked underneath, you know, front of the house and some, some kitchen management. And, uh, and because there were so many stories, um, you really couldn't be everywhere at one time. And, uh, so that's where I really started working on uh, not feeling like I had to always be somewhere, um, really developing my people. And that's, that's the key, I think, if you're going to be a restaurant owner or, or upper management, if you don't want to spend your days off with phone calls or having to go in and do stuff, you really, really have to develop your people and learn to so- not like manage and, and, you know, 
tell them what the expectation is, hire well, train well, and then just turn them loose and let them do their thing. And so I had a really great work-life balance at Acting for the, probably the first time in my career. And, um, and uh, you know, I was making great money. I was being able to spend time with my wife. I was able to sometimes get to the gym. I was able to run a very, very successful, profitable business. And, um, and that was awesome. Um, they moved me to a director of operations position when I started and we opened two more restaurants. So I was overseeing four restaurants and that's where, you know, you really have to get good at, at uh, your own time management as well as really developing people and trusting people to do the right thing. And, and you know, even before all that, I really learned that my success as I've moved through the ranks is really about people that I've had the privilege to work with. Um, you know, hiring great teams, putting people together, really, really finding just good freaking people, you know, not, not just people that are great at their craft, but people who actually care, actually want to do a good job, actually want to take care of the guest. And when you find those people, it's really, really easy to find that balance. Um, and, and so I've learned a lot. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I've, ran now uh for the last three or four years i was running multi-unit operations and um covid came along and um there wasn't an opportunity you know a lot of times when you're when you're not in a restaurant every day uh when you're the, the casualty you're the non-essential uh so uh, I was working for a, a company after Tomcats, uh, running four of their restaurants as well. And, uh, and I think I came to the realization that it was going to be difficult to manage a family-owned restaurant group that you know, I wasn't a family member. Right? So the authority thing was a little bit off. And, um, so then COVID hit and things were crazy. And I've been out of, you know, I was out of work at that point and uh, really started evaluating what am I gonna do next? You know, do, am I gonna wait for all of this craziness to be over and jump back into a restaurant? And, and I was really, I don't wanna say depressed, but I felt like part of me was missing because I wasn't in the restaurants, right? I wasn't with teams of really great freaking hospitality people. And I wasn't with the guest and I wasn't, able to provide phenomenal service and hospitality and it was it was a void in my life that you know um i felt like i was not contributing to society and and that's the sad thing that's going on with covid right now is the one place where people can really feel cared for and appreciated and taken care of is in the restaurant industry and you know having having a meal and, and being cared for and and we don't have that, you know, it's difficult. Even, even the restaurants that are open that have face masks, it's not the same. It's not that same touch point between human beings, you know. And, um, so I found an outlet. I started writing and uh, was writing a blog called Hashtag Restaurant Tour on LinkedIn. I think that's how you and I kind of got connected mm -hmm. to LinkedIn and, uh, and really was able to express my feelings about things and, and was able to share you know things that I had learned along the way and, and so from there I, I 
I was working on a deal to potentially be partners on a, a restaurant group and um, just got to the point where I really didn't feel like that was the best fit for me. And, uh, and so I said, you know what? I love helping people. I love uh, talking about our industry. I love teaching people. Um, so I'm going to focus on really jumping into more of a coaching consulting opportunity. So that's what I've been working on for a couple months. Um, just really fine tuning what I have to offer and what, what we can talk about and how I can help. Uh, and let's talk about that because obviously you kind of talked about how, you know, COVID-19 gave you a detour, if you will, to what you were doing. And you've decided now to make that transition into consulting, coaching, writing. And um, one of your, your first entities is a new ebook that's set to come out soon called hashtag restaurateur hospitality ebook how to build raving fans with hospitable moments. Uh, talk about that. I mean, what was your inspiration behind it? And, uh, you know, what kind of takeaways do you feel people can get from that, that particular ebook? Sure. Yeah. So um, I really wanted to, uh, you know, with, with the LinkedIn blog and, and where I was posting the blog on my, I have a, I have a Facebook page called hashtag restaurant tour. It's spelled out hashtag. Um, and, uh, because of the limited amount of characters on LinkedIn, I felt like I was giving a lot of great thought, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of philosophy behind why we do what we do, how we should do what we do. Um, but I wasn't able to really dig in with more of a how to so it was really more of a thought leader perspective on the industry and philosophies of hospitality and, you know, writing, you know, food, food menus and wine lists and things like that. And, and I really wanted to give something back uh, that went deeper, that could help people. And, um, and so I wrote this ebook um, with the idea that I could put it together, you know, fairly quickly and get it out there and help people because COVID's not necessarily going away, but right now, especially, I think everyone needs a little helping hand, a little encouragement. Um, I felt like this, this ebook would be some positivity out there that would be helpful and inspiring and, and get people to, as they're kind of rethinking what, you know, what this industry is going to be when we come out of this, just to kind of hit restart, you know, and, and have an opportunity to kind of refocus on some certain things. So super excited about it. Um, it's it's um, not everything I know in the industry. It's it's geared towards hospitality, um, but there is a lot of conversations about how to take care of your people because in my mind, it's it's the people that you work with that are really gonna make the difference uh, in consistency for the kind of uh, dining experiences that you deliver. And one of the things you talk about in there, and I, I you know, the, the overall book is around 40 some pages long. So it's, it's, a, it's a good read. It's, I, I call it a good, uh, you know, bedside reading, if you will. If you wanna uh, sit down, you'll be able to go through it all 
pretty much in one evening, no, no problem. But I, I wanted to focus on one thing, not to take everything away, of course, but you talk about the difference between service and hospitality. So you say service is a skill set, hospitality is a mindset. Why don't you, if you will, explain for a second what you mean by that? Sure. So, um, you know, we can teach a monkey how to put a fork on a table, right? Um, I can teach my, my year-and-a-half-old son. Uh, by the way, part of the story was we did end up adopting and uh, we have a beautiful little boy. Um, and it's actually been a blessing to kind of be home with him a lot during the last five, six months. And, that, and that's, that's part awesome. of reshifting into this new concept as well for me. And the next, you know, I spent a third of my life building my career, a third of my life really uh, honing my craft and becoming an expert. And now it's time to spend a third of my life giving back to the industry and also, you know, spending more time with my family. So, yeah. Anyway, um, so service is a skill set and there are some incredibly talented people out there that could get you to buy a you know a bottle of chateau margot um because of their knowledge and skill in selling there are some great people out there that are well you will never your water glass will never be half empty right um there are people out there that You'll, they'll never miss a mark bringing a steak knife to your table before the steak gets delivered. Um, and that's service. Um, and that's a very, very important, but it's a skill set that can be taught. Um, hospitality, I don't know how you teach that necessarily. You can encourage that, you can champion that, you can model that. But I think some people are hospitable and others aren't. And if you're just working the hospitality angle for a gratuity, what you blow, but you blow off doing your side work, then you're not a hospitable person because you've decided that for money, you're going to do certain things, but you don't even have the respect and hospitality towards your peers to do side work so that they don't have to pick up your slack. So it's more of a mindset where um, it's not only why you do what you do, but it's how you deliver that. You can throw a fork down on the table. It could be extremely rude, but you served that person, right? But, but how you set that fork down makes all the difference. Uh, That's you a can great say, point. You could say, welcome as your head is down looking at your cell phone when, when you're a host and somebody walks into your restaurant, well, that service, you did it, but you didn't care about the person. And, and hospitality is more about how you deliver that service and how the guest feels about the service and themselves during the process. Now, as you wrap up here, and again, terrific, terrific story, um, you know, I know you, again, in the spirit of giving, in the spirit of wanting to give back to people, um, you actually, as we talked about, not only have the ebook, you do the coaching as well, but let's, let's talk about this ebook, if you will. So what special offer do you have for the listeners of the Conversations on the Industry podcast? So um, 
because I'm super excited, this you actually have the unedited copy. Uh, yes. You're the first person I've sent that to, actually. Well, um, I feel honored. It's a great read, so by the way. Thank you. My wife is uh, my wife is way better at uh, grammatical correctness than I am. <laughs> um, I think I did a pretty good job, but you um, did. She's gonna actually edit it, and then I'm gonna send it to a, a editor that um, I'm I'm working on getting it published um, and for sale. And so I'm hoping to get all that done next week. Um, and uh, and so. Um, because I appreciate being on the show, uh, because I want to help people, uh, if you want to email me uh, my Gmail account, it's hashtag H-A-S-H-T-A-G, Restaurateur. There's no N in there. It's the French spelling, R-E-S-T-A-U-R-A-T-E-U-R, at Gmail, and just type in the code one-to-one hospitality ebook then I will email you uh, a copy of the book for free. Now um, you're not going to stop there though, because if people are listening to you saying, wow, Monty, I, I, you know, I could use some help here. I uh, could use some coaching. Um, you're also going to provide them with some help that way too, right? Yeah. So I started a company um, that we're doing, I'm doing coaching uh, with restaurant owners primarily um, where I have an opportunity to um, not only help them work through COVID, but you know, I think a lot of um, a lot of people that didn't grow up in this industry, they don't fully understand the commitment level needed. I mean, we we're on point. You know, our focus has to be really sharp. We have to be really committed. And I think sometimes, not always, I think there's some great restaurant owner operators out there, but. Sometimes people get in, they feel a little overwhelmed. Um, they might feel like, hey, I'm where the buck stops. I don't have anyone to ask questions to. I don't have anyone to vent to because uh, you don't want to necessarily bring it home to your spouse all the time. That's not a healthy relationship. Uh, and you certainly don't want to vent down to your people. So, um, so my coaching offers um, you know, guidance in hey, what should I do in this scenario or putting together um, different uh, things like writing wine list or different things like that, but also just being available for phone calls and just being able to pick my brain or just run things by me or just, just vent for a little while. And, and um, so I'm super excited about that. So um, what, I, what I've been doing is I've been taking calls. Um, typically, I charge about $100 an hour uh, for my time with um, unless you're buying a package deal. And so typically a first consult call is a hundred bucks an hour. And we can do that on either zoom or, or telephone. And, uh, and I'm offering it to the people listening to this podcast for 40% off. So for 60 bucks, um, you have an hour of my time. So that's a dollar a minute. But if you think of it this way, you're getting 40 years of experience. Um, Absolutely. You're paying 60 bucks for 40 years of experience to pick my brain, talk about whatever. And, and then from there, if there's, uh, you know, something I can help with, then, um, you know, we can talk about some specific coaching opportunities beyond that. But and how do they get a whole, and how do they get that? They want that discount, the 40% off. 
How do so they you do can email me at the same address, hashtag restaurant tour at Gmail. And then this, and then instead, put your name down and then also one-to-one -one hospitality uh, coaching call. And Wonderful. Uh, that'll give you the discount. Um, and uh, I have a PayPal account. You can go right in and pay for that. And we'll set up a Zoom call or a phone call, whichever you prefer. I personally love this face-to-face -face time. You know, yes. you and I haven't met and hopefully one day we will. Um, but uh, it's more personal. You know, Absolutely. I want to see on the face of the person that I'm talking to what they're really struggling with. And, what, you know, and, and I think it's just a better opportunity to really engage with someone and really find out what their needs are. So that's the way I recommend it, but we can do it by phone as well. Well, again, Monty, great tips. Again, what we'll do, um, we'll actually put on our website, the hospitality1to1.com website. We'll actually put um, the your email address as well as we'll put these ha these um, hashtags, if you will, so that way they can, the, the call codes, um, so people can get take advantage of either the free ebook, the coaching, or both. Um, again, Monty, um, we'll also put all your contact information so people can get a hold of you. Any questions at all? Great conversation, great advice. I truly appreciate your time today. I appreciate being here. I I love what you're doing, and uh, you know, it's there's, there's a lot of people that really need some positivity, and I I appreciate that you're one of the people out there championing that and helping people really uh, figure out how to get through the next you know, year or so. Hey, great. I'm happy to do it. Monty, have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Hospitality One-to-One -one podcast. Be sure to tune in next week for more stories and conversations with the best in the hospitality industry.